amigo de grave, com pede de treta, os amigos de grave, com pede de treta. Tira do corte, levanta a mão, joga a pistola pra What's going on, everyone? This is episode 48 of High Top Flip Flops. Uh, as always, I'm Krish. I'm here with Naveek. Um, and this is just uh, another regular week for Naveek and I, it seems. We struggled to think of something fun to talk about this week, but we've been exposed for living <laughs> boring-ass lives, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the only exciting stuff in the past week were the heat and, yeah, the Drake album. Okay, 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 relax. Also, I hear basketball is interesting. <laughs> basketball is interesting. You also went on a little cottage trip with your friends. Talk to us about that. I did. Uh, I went to... Uh, Quebec. The land of uh, racism. Was it Quebec? I don't know. You tell me. Oh, no, it wasn't Quebec. You were in Quebec? It was four hours from Ajax. So an hour from Ottawa. And it was cool. Oh, shit. It Sorry. Was... I thought you were in Quebec. No, no. Yeah, it was cool. The guy had a the guy who owned the cottage had his cottage right next to ours. Oh, which normally is terrible, but he was very cool about everything. Take eight blunts to the face with you guys. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, share the kush with me, please." <laughs> hey guys, I bought all the backwoods for you. <laughs> I bought, really I great price you. at fifteen dollars a pop. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, did I? Oh, I spoke about that in this episode. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Stay tuned to uh, the super up bit of this episode where Navik really goes in on the uh, price of backwards. Because let me tell you. So, oh man, they really went up. It's it's something else right now. Also, bugs. Boy, are there a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> in the summertime, <laughs> near the water, there's a lot of those damn bugs. And we usually go like every April. For good reason. Like, it mm. is a bit chillier, but zero bugs. Zero bugs, that's right. And when you go in the summer, it's just bug city. Which just always takes a hit. You know, you got to spray up with the bug spray every time. Got to let and all those carcinogens enter your skin, enter your lungs. I'm pretty sure I ate 15 bugs. Mm. So that's probably possible. <sighs> and, what's, and what's it like, like, organizing with all these boys? Because you go up with a, with a decent group of people, right? Yeah, it was 10. Um, what's that like? Because we all know that like in our friend groups, especially in larger groups like that, a couple of people are the like, ghost until like the last couple of days that like don't play any part in trying to be like helpful to the whole organizing of it. There's some people who like, some people who aren't willing to like adjust to whatever curveballs are thrown your way like oh maybe we can't get this place maybe th- we can't get this airbnb like what's that like for your, for you and these people like are there do these stereotype people in that group exist of like you know the one guy who doesn't contribute and the one guy who's like always got an idea that's different than everyone else's um yeah break that down for me you know what this one went pretty smoothly so we decided to do this in early april which is kind of late right you know, especially to find, like, cottage for the summer and 
Right. And yeah, luckily we found one. It was one of the worst ones we really? found. Picture wise, it looked terrible, but when we actually went to the cottage, it looked pretty decent. Nice. So take some good pics, you know, of your yeah. of your place if you're putting PSA. it PSA. He literally took it with like a flip phone from '98. <laughs> and but hey, do your thing. But yeah, no, it was very very solid. Everything was arranged weeks prior. Wow. Um, all of the cars were listening to the Drake album on the way because it dropped that day. Right. That we left, and unanimous decision on or not decision, but unanimous opinion mm-hmm. of the album the album was ass <laughs> but you know what that also leads into drake talk and i know you only listen to it that's okay i'll still bit. engage in it because i'm a piece of shit anyways go for it please out of 24 songs there may be f- five good songs which also proves my point dude why would you do 24 12 like he like, I expected a classic just off the songs that were released prior. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is going to be a very good album. Hopefully, he'll do 12 max. But no, he does 24. On Mob Ties, he says, this is not rah-rah. I am a da-da. And <laughs> I definitely turned it off after I heard that. And then I went back to 20 minutes later, listened to the rest of it. The R&B side, there's some good songs mm-hmm. on there, but not not so good. And l- people make excuses for Drake. Like, there's always an excuse or several excuses. When, when I'm listening to these reviews, I'm l- like, I'm looking out for a lot of reviews on on YouTube and right. podcasts and stuff, and they're all like, "Yeah, it was pretty good. I didn't like ten songs, but it was pretty good." Yeah. In my opinion, I was like, "You don't. You just like Drake so much." Right. Because when Pusha T dropped, people were like, I hate it because Kanye produced it. Right. They didn't listen to the music. Right. But with this one, they're like, you know, there's nothing to hate about Drake other than that he's hiding a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I very much will always uh, believe in the argument, or not believe in the argument, believe in the statement that, like, oh, you know, like, not always do we have to... Um, shit on things that are popular and i and while i agree with that statement um i i don't think that that statement means we don't have to be critical of those things as well you know what i mean um is that sure like you know you might yeah you might enjoy this project you might also realize like all of the things that maybe don't make this project as as significant as it could be but you know You've got like, <laughs> you've got a guilty pleasure for just like bangers. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because the album has, we'll hear these songs all summer long. We'll hear these songs for the next year. There's 24 of them. Um, he could probably drop a video, like two videos every month for the next year, um, and somehow like get replay value from this album. He went platinum on the first day. I don't know if that's a record or not. Um, probably is a record. I mean, just yeah. saying that is like kind of mind blowing. Um, also, something I read while researching that was that um, <laughs> uh, beer bongs and Bentleys went platinum in four days, which is like sickening to think that like, you know, l- less than 10 years ago, Lil Wayne selling a million in the first week was like mind blowing. Like if you could do yeah. that, you know, and that was that still, you know, that statement is like mind blowing. Um, and then to think Drake did it in one day, ridiculously mind blowing. 
Yeah, and I then, didn't think about that actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did not think. Like but that. mind you, you you mean it's all you know the landscape has now changed, right? Uh, uh, and I guess the way that it's like now labeled is like a million, like quantified like quote unquote units, which is the equivalent of you downloading an album on your phone, because you you just ten dollars a month or twelve dollar a month twelve dollars a month is sucked out of your credit card for Spotify or for Apple Music or whatever, and you you just press a button, right? You don't have to go to the store anymore. You don't have to physically buy a cd um which needless to say like a million people could have gone out and bought Lil wayne's album in the first week but like one the urgency wasn't there two maybe a little less accessible for people maybe there wasn't an hmv in every city i don't know this is a digression but um the real point of the matter is is that a million people downloaded and or bought and or listened to beer bongs and Bentleys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and to whoever you million people are, I just want to let you know how severely disappointed I am in you. Um, and let that be known that that's like a very uh, serious statement to come from my mouth because I am not disappointed in anyone. Um, Kanye West said slavery was a choice. And no, I'm disappointed in him. No, I'm definitely disappointed in him. Um, but... If you listen to Beer Bugs and Bentleys, <laughs> like I'm more disappointed in you than I am of Kanye or of Drake. Just know this. Please know this. Um, I don't know any songs from that album. Me neither. Me neither. I thought his last album was also called Beer Bugs and Bentleys. That's how much <laughs> attention I paid to. You thought this was Beer Bugs and Bentleys too? No, I thought he just named it the same album and thought he was getting away with it because Post Malone's a dumbass. Uh, anyways, no hate, <laughs> enough hate for the day. Uh, just kidding, more hate for the day. The NBA is whack. If you want to join Nivek and I at the local English pub at 2 p.m. every day to watch European dart competitions, that's where we'll be investing our time and potentially energy into playing fantasy versions of these sports. Because, yeah, there's, there's no fun in the NBA anymore. Fourth of July should be canceled this year. Yeah, Canada should be canceled every year too, you know? But, yeah, uh, yeah this, we're recording this on the 4th of July, and if you're doing something cool, um, hopefully it's fun, but hopefully you're also thinking about uh, just how wild of a day that it is <laughs> and potentially what you're celebrating. And, I mean, you know, yeah, it was easy for us to uh, target anyone, uh, target the people living in the States and say, oh, you know, if you celebrate 4th of July, you're a piece of shit, but... Same thing goes for, for Canadians, too, you know? It's the same idea of us celebrating colonialism and celebrating the idea that, like, hey, we came and we conquered a land that wasn't ours. Um, but, uh, yeah, so long as you're conscious and you're thinking about, you know, your decisions and the, the world of politics that you live <laughs> in, I guess... Okay, this week uh, we had a super special guest. This is actually someone that we've been meaning to sit down with for a fair bit of time, so we're very excited that we get to share this interview with you. Um, we sat down with the founder of Lord Inc., which is a modeling agency um, prioritizing or exclusively working with um, models of color, uh, people of color, women of color, and um, also working with models who do not fit uh, the standard stereotype um, for what a model should be, which um, unfortunately has kind of been embedded in our minds as a tall, skinny, uh, and white. Founder of Lord Inc.'s name is Nafiza Cape Townwala, and uh, she was so kind enough to sit down with us and break down everything from uh, growing up in Vancouver 
egging people's houses over beef, uh, which is wild. Like, it's a big mess. <laughs> it's a big mess. I it's would a hate big for mess. that to happen because uh, what do you what do you use to clean all that? Tears, according Whoa. to Nafisa. Um, Nafisa also breaks down for us how Lording even got started as someone who uh, graduated from university and pretty much got started this the year after. And of course, a lot of the challenges that have come along with starting an agency that is so counterculture to what already exists as uh, an industry standard and breaking down for us why not only representation matters, but why we have to keep fighting for it um, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. So hope you guys enjoy. This is episode 48. Uh, thanks for listening. What's going on, everyone? This is episode 48 of High Top Flip Flops. As always, this is Chris, a.k.a. Chris, a.k.a. Not Chris, a.k.a. The Tamil Hemingway, a.k.a. Bash Me Outside because I don't fight, I just get beat up, a.k.a. Mr. Date Your Girl With You, um, a.k.a. Little Poopy Dirt, <laughs> a.k.a. Dr. Do Too Little, uh, and I'm with my main man, Navek. Hey, it's Navek, a.k.a. Navape, a.k.a. The Tamil Tyrese, a.k.a. Mr. Rob's Your Girl, Say Hello, Then Run Away, a.k.a. Low couch, and we got a very special guest here today. Today, wow, we have a very special guest. We have the founder of Lord Inc., Nafisa, with us today. Nafisa, before I butcher this, do you want to tell us how you pronounce your last name properly? Uh, my last name is properly pronounced Cape Downwella. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. You heard it here, not first, hopefully not first, but you heard it here. This is how you pronounce your last name. Nafisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, we're geeking out a little bit because you're kind of just like a, a legend in our eyes. Uh, oh, that's so you know, nice. obviously, uh, the work that you've done in creating Lord Inc. as a as an agency and what you've done with kind of brand development, creative direction, and a whole lot more. You know, we want to touch on all these things um, and just kind of talk to you. You know, where your head's been at, and you know how you've kind of been feeling with all of the kind of inner workings uh, within the fashion world. At least, you know your time in it um but we also kind of care to know a lot more or as much as we can find out about you today um so before we we get into it um we know that you very recently finished observing ramadan and cared to ask how that experience was for you or how the experience generally is for you i didn't fast this year okay fair <laughs> enough fair enough <laughs> But don't tell my grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, your grandma listens. Sorry, spoiler alert. That scratches those six questions. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, I did not fast this year. That's okay. That's okay. Have you in the past before? I usually do. Last Mm. year I fasted, but this year I've been um, doing pole dancing. Shit. I didn't want to take a break. Fair enough. How's that, how's that been, though? Also like, because my pass is expensive, and I just bought it right before Ramadan, not even thinking. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I have this month pass. Like, I'm not going to not use it. No, man. So that's I was like, Ramadan's out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the pass in Ramadan, it's always the other option. You know, it's always right. going to be the pass. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right. exactly. That was a tricky, yeah, a tricky conundrum for you to be in. But that's okay. How, has, how have these pole dancing classes been going, though? Shit looks mad hard. It's fucking hard and people really underestimate it. And um, I've been doing it for almost two years now on and off, like six months at a time. Right. And yeah, it's been going really well. I'm like really good now. Sick. (laughs) Sick. Okay. (laughs) It paid off. That's what's like most important. Really good and really strong. (laughs) And I feel like I can beat the shit out of someone in the street if I needed to. We always want to start our conversations with kind of going back to. As, as far back to the kind of beginning as we can. Mm-hmm. 
So for you, I think that will kind of begin with where you grew up, which is not actually Toronto. It's Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. So let's talk about let's talk about the kind of specifics about growing up there. Whereabouts specifically in Vancouver were you living? I grew up in East Van. East Vancouver. Yeah, okay. Okay. Like close to downtown. Okay. Perfect. And this is where you were born as well. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. And what kind of what were your surroundings like in the sense of? Um, was it a more of like a, a city center? Was it was it very diverse in terms of population? Mm-hmm. What were the kind of things that you saw while growing up? Okay, so I grew up in Vancouver, um, obviously in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So the climate at the time was obviously incredibly different than it is now because it's pre Olympics, pre gentrification, and um, and it was affordable housing at the time. Um, I try to compare it to, like, maybe the way that, like, downtown Toronto was, like, 20 years ago, you know? Um, Really diverse, but a lot of, like, low-income new migrants. Gotcha. Um, And then towards the end of high school, the city started to become, like, more and more, like, unaffordable, and people were, like, pushing, getting further and further out of the city. Everyone's, like, living in the suburbs. And, like, by the end of high school, I had friends, like, straight up driving in from, like, the suburbs to finish high school. Just to finish. Mm. Yeah. Because that's just how rapid right. the real estate changed there. Um, but yeah, like the climate that I grew up in, like people, I mean, to this day, you still go downtown Vancouver and there's still like a really visible homelessness and yeah. like drug use Certainly. Um, community. And like when I was a kid, it was like that times a thousand, you know? Right. And I remember like walking to and from high school and like all the prostitutes on the street like knew me by name. They'd like walk with me. Wow. So that I'd get home safe and stuff like that. So it was like a really rough area, but also like super community vibes. Like Mm. everybody knew each other. Like everyone took care of each other. Right. Wow. And what were, uh, what were some things do you remember doing for fun as a kid? Um, like egging people's houses, (laughs) getting into fights. What's the, okay. We got to break both of those things down. What's the, what kickstarted the egging people's houses? We would beef with people. Like, <laughs> what happened to the community vibes? Reason. You know what I mean? It's like a little bit of both. It's like you get in the same community space. It's like you have people that like really look out for each other. And mm-hmm. then you also have kids that like beef with each other for no fucking reason. Like sure. I don't even know why. But Damn. we would just like beef with like random kids. Right. Because <laughs> you have nothing better to do. So you're like, let's just fucking throw arms. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I also think, yeah, it's, you know, I got egged when I first moved to Pickering, which is where I now currently reside. And I just remember being like, I was nine years old and just thinking, why do people hate us? <laughs> you know what? But like, we didn't beef. I don't think we think about the cleanup process about egging people's houses. That's right. That's the whole you point, know? though. You don't. It's like the <laughs> recklessness of it. You're like, fuck it. This is good. We get to empathize with the egg thrower now. You know, this is important. It's no, important. No, you don't need to <laughs> empathize, empathize with the egg thrower. Okay. I got my house egged a few times too. Wow. Okay. So yeah. was it, so it was a retaliation thing. It, it was, was totally. Okay. Okay. It was just beef. Beef. <laughs> egg okay. beef. Okay. Um, and do you think it was while you were still in Vancouver that um, an interest or kind of inclination towards um, fashion, the fashion industry were things that, that formed then? Do you feel like it was something that formed later in your life? No, when I was growing up, me and my best friend, um, we wanted to be singers. We Mm. wanted to be 
um, musicians and we wanted to be fashion designers and we wanted to be film directors. Like every week it was like a whole new thing that we would start working on. Right. Um, But one thing that we took really seriously was like fashion. Yeah. We used to dress like we used to make our own clothes and then wear it to school and look fucking insane. (laughs) Like, how? actually fucking insane. I don't know how I didn't get my ass beat then, but... How were you making this stuff? You were, like, cutting and sewing? In our home at class. Wow, okay. Yeah, we'd make, like, wild crap and then look like fools. <laughs> but that's a starting point, too. Like, you were doing that for yourself. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's what the the think the coolest part is, is, like, you were, like, at that time, obviously, your taste has probably changed since then, but you looked at that and you're, like, yo, this is me. Like, I'm about to stunt in this, you know? It's yeah, kind and of I thought that thing. I looked bad as fuck, like... Yeah, exactly. I think it was, <laughs> yeah, again, of course, we're regrettable decisions, but, you know, that's you, how we learn. Can you describe some of the pieces? We, okay, so one thing that we had made were pajama bottoms, but, like, we made them so that they, each panel was a different fabric. Whoa. Mm. It was really ugly. Like, you guys are the Da Vinci's. They were super <laughs> colorful, and then I would wear, um, I would wear this, like, pink sweater, this pink fleece sweater I got from Le Chateau. Ooh. With, um, like, a fucking shirt, like a collared shirt. <laughs> or sometimes we'd wear, like, collared shirts with, um, like, a crazy T-shirt on top. Whoa. Like, dress shirts. Right, right, right. These T-shirts on top. <laughs> with the pajama on. Oh, Damn. Jesus, swag. This yeah. is 100% super swag. Yeah, super swag. <laughs> and then we'd also wear those toques that have the flaps that come down. Oh, over the ears. <laughs> so you just got to complete the swag. Yeah. <laughs> You just needed that. You were ready for accessory. all. You, you were ready for all seasons. Yeah. No, we were just like, what can we wear to look absolutely and utterly insane? But the funny thing is, is like when you're, I don't know, when you grow up in a neighborhood that's like very brown, mm. like these people don't know the distinctions between like different subcultures. Right. So everyone would call us goth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Imagine real oh, goths right. finding out about this. <laughs> Yo, there are some there's some goth kids around. Yeah, exactly. What are these goth kids? They yeah, pull they up would to be you. like, you guys are fucking goths, man. Fags. <laughs> wow. And yeah, these guys. And they call us fags. God damn it. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Hey, I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe you created post goth. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> right. Post goth. Post goth is what you created. Last question from your time in Vancouver. Did you use MSN Messenger or an adjacent messaging platform? And if you did, what was your most reckless and or embarrassing display name? I'll share uh, mine. I'll share mine with you. I used MSN Messenger. And my username was like Brown Honey XXX. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, embarrassing. <laughs> but the only thing I really remember from MSN Messenger is like whenever you would beef with somebody, you would change your status to Ooh. be like Maria T is a fucking slut, and then everyone would see it because it would like whenever someone changed their status, it would pop up. Right, mm. right. So I remember doing that a lot. <laughs> that is so like beefing with people over MSN Messenger. <laughs> Listen, that's the platform that we had. You know, sometimes we just, that's that's what we needed to use. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I always put like ridiculously like dark and like yeah, super like edgy like metal lyrics. That was like my thing. I can't remember one Whoa. band that I put, but like some of them were always like so ridiculous and like. Every once in a while, I get someone like, "Hey, are you are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm great." <laughs> like, 
It's felt edgy. Um, so also <laughs> super embarrassing. Like nothing I'm trying to revisit whatsoever. That is relatable. Yeah, just the, just the worst. Um, I always remember when people would put all of the like initials of like all their homies. So like it'll oh, just be like yo, a line of like kids. Oh, kids still do that, eh? Yeah. On Instagram, you go into their Instagram bio and it's like N K V P T I. Yeah, like, exactly. All of these initials. Yeah. T I. Yeah. T I. Yeah, made the cut. T I. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, you gotta imagine like when one of those one of those initials drop, it's like, oh, shit, oh, oh shit, one of the initials drop, exactly, yeah. exactly, beef, it's beef. a beef thing, yeah, it's a so. beef thing. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you for sharing that with us, obviously, this now <laughs> paints a better picture <laughs> of what your life in Vancouver was like, not fully, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, something that you mentioned was that you were growing up in a predominantly, like, South Asian community, or predominantly, uh, a community that was similar to your own, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm correct in saying that your background is Pakistani, yeah? Is that your, is that your background? No, okay. I'm actually Muslim Indian. Muslim Indian, okay. And I'm curious to kind of know, particularly in those formative years, which is where it ends up being the most kind of important in your life, um, do you feel like you were connected to your identity at, mm-hmm. a, at a young age? I mean, it's, it's different, though, because I didn't necessarily grow up with people that were the same like culture as me. Right. But uh, I did grow up in a community that's predominantly like new migrant. So okay. it's like people from all over the place. Like my neighbors were Somali. I had neighbors that were Punjabi. I had neighbors that were Vietnamese. Mm. It was very, very multicultural. So I do feel like I was able to connect with people in the sense that like we're all experiencing this like migration thing. That's right. We're all experiencing like being new to a country, our parents being broke as fuck and like just trying to make it work. That's right. So that. I can, like, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to share that experience with people. Mm. But in terms of, like, my culture, like, no, there were no Muslims in wow. Vancouver. It's, like, the Muslim community there at the time is so small. Right. Now it's, like, changed a lot because there's been, like, refugees from Syria and stuff. But um, at the time, like, there was nobody. Right. There was, weren't even, like, a mosque downtown. We had to, like, drive to the suburbs wow. to go to a mosque. Wow. And were there ways for you, I mean, like, within your home, given that, you know, the... An institution like a mosque is so far away. Were there ways that in your home that uh, you feel like your your culture, your heritage was like something that was was preserved or like attempted to preserve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad used to like we used to pay this like guy. We called him. Um, he's like a molana, like an imam. Okay, would come and teach us how to read the Quran and wow. pray and stuff. Right, right, right. And and of course, I mean, I'm just kind of curious to know. You obviously, as you said, right, that the the big kind of point for you to empathize was that while these people might not have. Sp- Ex- looked exactly like you mm-hmm. their story and their struggle was identical mm-hmm. and that is just kind of being an other in both places right you're mm-hmm. you're now in a country that you speak a different language and you know had you not been able to learn the language going back to a place like india becomes foreign mm-hmm. um but also being in canada and not being white and being another just like has you an alien in both places mm-hmm. um and oftentimes that's what kind of makes it difficult to engage with your own culture because you're also trying to fucking understand what an offside in hockey is just so like for a brief moment in time you can like be palatable in conversation you know right um that's always kind of a a scary thing but something we're curious to kind of know because Mm -hmm. um for Navek and I you know I feel like it's it's things that we've only in later stages of our lives learned to kind of appreciate or want to kind of pick up more on um because so much of our formative years were spent being caught in this like in, in a completely different world where we're trying to adjust to so many other things at the mm-hmm. same time. Do you guys go back? Have you been back to Sri Lanka? I actually haven't been. Not yet, no. Um, I have been. Uh, however, I was 12 years old. And um, mm. 
yeah, I don't think it was as an informative as an ex- it wasn't as an informative as an experience as I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the thing that I find really interesting. Like when we're having these conversations about otherness, mm. it's like people often bring back like, yeah, but and then when I go to foreign countries or I go back home, like I'm not accepted there either. Mm. But like, how often are we really going back there? That's like, right, I'm yeah. not trying to be accepted there. Does that mm. make sense? Not that I'm not trying to be, but I'm not expecting to be expecting, because that's not course. my home. Like, that's right. I don't know much about what it's like to grow up in South Asia. I have that's no idea. But the thing that I do try to find like home and community in is like if I move to a city, I try to move to an area where it's like new migrants mm. because that's what I know. Yeah, of you course. know what I mean? Like move to the Malverns of wherever, like yeah, the yeah, Scarboroughs, yeah. the Mississaugas mm-hmm. of those places. Yeah, shout out Burn Block. No, you're absolutely right. Um, that is, of course, yeah, it's where uh, the most like base level understanding between one another is, exists, right? Um, so, like, even if I move to an area that where people don't necessarily look like me, mm. you just know that, like, if you're in a community where these people have all migrated from different areas, that they kind of get your existence a little bit more. You have, like, less questions to answer to. There's a lot more that can be left unsaid, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Do you currently live uh, downtown, or are you... Uh, I was Scar- living in Scarborough for a bit with my grandma, but now I live downtown. Right. How was that Scarborough experience for you? We always have to ask. It's hard, though, because I didn't grow up in a suburb. I grew up like in a city. I grew mm. up downtown, so it was really hard for me because yeah. like, I don't know how to drive. The thought of not being able to walk down the street and just go to a coffee shop, like that was all like a kind of, of a course. mindfuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, trans- yeah, difficult transitions for And then I, I guess on the opposite end for us, we, having lived so much or spent so much of our lives in a suburb, transitioning to, it's doing it the reverse, like mm-hmm. coming into a city or trying to live within a city becomes far more, it's like such a smoother transition, right? Mm-hmm. Because all the things that were once inaccessible are now like super accessible. But then going back, obviously having lived that way ends up being easier too, just because you you know, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that is kind of the eternal struggle of like feeling mobile in a suburb, I think, unfortunately. Hard I suppose once you'd kind of finished your uh, your kind of like high school stuff and your your high school studies and you're ready to move on to post secondary, um, you didn't stay in Vancouver. You decided to swing a little bit more east. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, I stayed in Vancouver like a couple years after high school, right. um, and I went to a local college for journalism. Okay. And that's like when I first like when I started like hanging out with like non like white people for the first time wow non like non like people of color right 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 um just through like school and i was working at american apparel Mm. and like going out with these american apparel kids to like these alternative parties what were those like (laughs) just the look on your face when you said that (laughs) makes it look like they're the strangest thing so please play it on us i like the when people talk about growing up in a suburb and being the only person of color, like that's what it felt like when I was like going out to Mm. these parties, like these art shows and stuff. Like I was the only person of color. I may as well have been a fucking fly on the wall. Like, no, I was completely invisible. Like these people didn't give a fuck. Like no one's trying to talk to me. Um, so yeah, that was like kind of, that was like a jarring experience. Right. And then I moved to Montreal and then that whole thing, 
like I started to continue to hang out, out with like similar people from that scene. Right. And then I think I just like reached a breaking point where I was like, you guys are fucking racist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it completely changed like the course of like the rest of my life, I think. Wow. So it was in Montreal that you think this kind of like this like snap happened for you? Yeah, absolutely. Because I had for the first time had been experiencing what I think a lot of people grow up experiencing their whole lives is like silencing my views, Mm. um, feeling like I have to assimilate. And I was like, it really traumatized me. Right. Yeah. And university is always this big turning point too, where a lot of times like the access to the information now becomes present, whether it, whether it just being like, you know, f- for some people it might even just be like taking a course, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like opening your eyes to like having a better understanding of like what capitalism is. It's like mm-hmm. a very base level thing, you know, where mm-hmm. like your brain becomes exposed to so many other things and like so many other truths kind of come out in the open. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's definitely an aspect of like some people's like awakening, I mm-hmm. guess, but I don't know if that necessarily was what triggered me I think for me it was more like when you are like a non-white person in Canada like or a non-white person in a western country like you innately already have insight onto social structures that like people like people of privilege like completely take for granted and I what fucked me up was me trying to have these conversations and getting shut down and me being like yo but I know this is true like how can you tell me that it's not happening and that's what that, that's what fucked me up. Like, mm. even in university settings, you know what I mean? Like, as a person of color, you try to counteract anything the prof is saying, and they shut you down. It's like, it's like happens in all spaces. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Your truth is just, you're told that it's, it's invalid. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so I think being around, like, that um, density of whiteness for the first time in my life was, like, really what changed the game for me. Right. And what um, what was it that kind of took you out east in the first place? Was there like, do you feel like you kind of needed a, a change in environment? Um, was it yeah. the program that called you? No, I just needed to move. Like my living situation in Vancouver is kind of toxic. Like mm. I love my family to death, but like there's just a lot of wild shit going on back home. And yeah. I was like, I literally like, it's never going to happen for me. Like I'm never going to be successful if I stay here. Right. Like I need to go to another city. Yeah, totally. And, and was there, I mean, <clears throat> oftentimes uh, a kind of common theme for a lot of South Asian people and something that we even talked about before this is like, uh, having pressure or even kind of this like embedded idea that, you know, uh, pursuing something within like the STEM field or like pursuing uh, business or these kind of like these pillars, you know, mm-hmm. like going to law school, going into science, going into business um, are kind of like embedded or, or like, you know, put on us, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing that that was the complete opposite of what you chose to study. Was mm-hmm. that like a backlash that you felt? Was it like a pressure that you felt before coming out, coming out East and, and pursuing it? Not really. Like that's good. I, my family wasn't stoked about me going into school for art history, but they also were just like, whatever, like right. just go yeah. and get an education and make sure you get a job. Like they weren't, they're not, they've never been as hands-on or as like, um, like involved as maybe the typical South Asian right. family would be. For sure. Yeah, and well, I just think that has most more to do with the fact that my family already has so much wild shit happening. Yeah. They're just like, 
can't understandable yeah be as involved as they would want to be and did you stick around after you graduated no i left immediately where'd you go i went to london to the uk to the uk yeah okay and that was great i like lived with my family beauty yeah maybe i shouldn't be eating this mango no. right <laughs> now. You, know, you know what? i actually have another set of mangoes in my bag too so are you serious yeah i didn't realize until now wow wow yeah. um Mandos. How brown can you be? Like, <laughs> I just rolled through with a set of mangoes in my bag. <laughs> yeah, to all the people that stay doubting my brownness, <laughs> I stay with the mangoes and a business mangoes. degree. <laughs> Can't do anything with it, but it's there. But it's there, exactly. <laughs> we have we have it on the wall. Um, <laughs> okay, so now, so we fast forward to London. So you're living with some family, you're mm-hmm. working on... Um, a lot of kind of different creative projects. Do you feel like you were you were able to to make like a, a friend group? Were there were there people that you knew outside mm-hmm. of your family there prior to going? Um. Yeah. Actually, I did. I had a couple friends from Vancouver that live there. Okay. Um. My friend Tara. Right on. Who works in policy in London now. Wow. Um. And I knew a couple people from Montreal okay. out there. Right. Um, so I subletted an apartment from this guy from Montreal that I know from Montreal and like the building happened to be in this like building full of like artists. Whoa. Yeah. So I made a lot of friends like in the building. I was actually super lucky because I feel like people move to new cities that have a hard time making friends and that kind of is like, like friends is the most, the easiest way to access whatever it is you want to do. Right. So I like instantly made like a group of friends and that changed the game for me. Right on. Yeah. And were these people that you, uh, were kind of able to engage with on like a creative front as well? Like were you kind of... Yeah, like totally. Yeah. Like it sounds so cliche, but you move to a city like London and I felt like, fuck, finally, like I feel heard and seen and like the things that I want to do in this world, people are telling me it's totally possible. Um, So absolutely. Amazing. And what what kind of work was it that you, you found yourself immediately engaged in? Obviously you'd mentioned when you were a child, you had these aspirations to kind of cover all the grounds in terms mm-hmm. of like art and culture. Um, but was there anything in particular that you were kind of pursuing or, or immediately kind of getting to work on while you were there? Well, I went to school for art history and I like briefly worked at this art gallery in Vancouver. And um, when I had gone to London, initially my intention was just to get a creative job. Like right. it doesn't matter, like whether I'm a receptionist at a gallery or like whatever, it yeah. just didn't matter. I just wanted my foot in the door and like that shit was not happening for me. Um, and my friends at, in London at the time were doing freelance stuff, like fl- freelance, like photography and filmmaking and stuff. So I just like followed their lead and was like, okay, cool. I have ideas for projects. Like I want to do this. I want to do that. Mm. And kind of just like throwing shit out there right. and like doing like whatever came to <laughs> mind. And then it eventually like turned into like real work. Wow. And where along the lines, uh, did it kind of find its way back to fashion and when when did it kind of where along the lines in your time in London did these ideas or feeling like you needed to 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 kind of create something like Lord mm-hmm. began was there like a, a catalyst was there like a big turning point while you were there um well a part of it just had to do with how all my most of my friends um in general not even just in London like worked in fashion okay so already I'm like involved in the community in some way Um, and then I had a girlfriend at the time who was like signed to this like alternative agency and she was white girl and, 
um, I was just like, yo, my homies are cute. Like, why the fuck can't we model? Mm. And so I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do this thing and see what's up. Damn. So please break down, please break down that process for us. Cause I mean like the way you've mentioned it now, it sounds like, it sounds like, whoa, it sounds like, you, it sounds like you, you, yeah, you were able to pull it out literally, of your bag. Literally it's actually in, in retrospect, I'm like, wow, I really was like wiling out. Like, I <laughs> really had zero direction, but 130% confidence. Like right. I just didn't even second guess myself for a fucking second. That's amazing. And I like. Woke up, started making logos, started fucking working on a website, taking photos of people, telling people on the street, like, I think you should model. I'm starting a modeling agency, like, come through. Wow. And, like, now I'm like, whoa, like, I have a hard time now stopping people and telling them that, like, I do what I do. But, mm-hmm. like, I can't even imagine then. Like, <laughs> I don't know what made me so confident, but it just happened. Right. And I really think that's, like, the key to everything. Like, you really just have to believe in yourself. Wow. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of us have that thing in our minds where, I don't know if, about you, but growing up myself, I was, I was like, oh, there's no brown people anyways. I want to start something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm lazy as shit. Mm-hmm. But you actually decided, yeah, I'm going to collect these people, my friends, and assuming some random people or just everyone you know. A lot of random people. <laughs> and they all trusted you. And they all trusted me. And I'm like, wow. That's an amazing thing, yeah. But it also had to do with the fact, though, that I was, like, telling people straight up, I'm doing an agency that's just for models of color. And, like, a lot of people were, like, wow, I feel that. And I want to be a part of that. And, like, I really, like, respect that. And that that speaks to the the issue at hand, you know? Mm -hmm. The way how, like, how quickly it resonates. You don't even have to, like, Especially at that time, though, because I started working on it in 2012. Okay, wow. Wow. so long ago. Six years old. That's amazing. Yeah. And at that time, especially, like no one was having this conversation. Right. And, like, and, and you, you, you briefly mentioned having a friend working at or under an, an agency at the time. What was your like what having friends in in the fashion world as well? Like what were you what were you seeing? Like I just imagine you going to an event or going to these things and being like the same the same experience that you had when you were at College of Vancouver, which is just like this is all white people. Is that what you felt as well? When I would go to events? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, like events for sure. I don't know. There's always just this sense of otherness, you know, yeah. like whether or not it has to do with like the fact that I'm brown skinned mm. or it has to do with the fact that I can't, I grew up poor, you know, and that's always been like a bit of a, a bit of a, like a dissonance between what how I my experience and like those kinds of spaces yeah. because even if you are like brown like a lot of brown people can walk the walk and talk the talk because they grew up with fucking money you That's know right. and I did not and I I like didn't experience whiteness till I was 19 right you know yeah so um there are like a lot of things that kind of differentiate my experience and of course and being able to access those kinds of spaces right yeah and what was your your first uh your first introduction into like the fashion industry while in london was there was there like one particular incident you can kind of remember like was it going to like a particular um runway or like going to like a behind the scenes of, of like a big event you know what, like in retrospect, I probably thought that I was like so involved in fashion, but I wasn't like, I really wasn't like, I didn't really go to that many events. Like I maybe went to a fashion show if I was lucky. Right. 
but I was mostly just around a lot of people that worked in fashion. Right. Um, but so I think like my first experience really is just like chilling with my friends and then being like, I'm modeling for this and that and this. Oh, actually, I modeled for um, Topshop. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think that was maybe the first thing. What was that like? What was that experience? Or how did that come Horrible. to fruition? <laughs> first of all, I got casted because the photographer said to my friend, we need an Indian girl. So my mm. friends gave her the first Indian girl, the only Indian girl she knew, which was me. Whack. Um, which I was like, fine. Like, tokenize the fuck out of me if I'm getting a paycheck. Fine. Fair, fair. Um, and then I showed up, and the photographer was Harley Weir. I don't know oh, if you I know don't. Harley. Please. Yeah, that's he's uh, <laughs> good at the camera. Um, please, no, please we, tell us who Harley Weir is. She's she, like one of the biggest fashion photographers right now. Wow, like okay. young, biggest one of the biggest young fashion photographers right now. Wow. And she was like, "Yo, are you okay, dog?" I was mortified wow. because I'd never done anything like that before, and they weren't giving me any direction. And but now I would have, I would eat that shit up. Yeah, yeah, of course. At the time, I was like fucking terrified. Wow. Yeah. And it was just, uh, overall, it was like, it, it was something that, how did you feel after it was all kind of done? Were you like, did you feel the same way where you're like, yo, I'm cashing this check. I can walk out of here. I'm chilling. Or was there this kind of sense of like, I don't know how I feel about being tokenized this way. Mm, I wasn't, I was just feeling really, yeah, insecure. Mm. I just felt like they, this is the thing about fashion people though, like, they don't give a fuck that you're like vulnerable or that you're like uh, the only person of color in the room or that you might be the only disabled person in the room or whatever your marginality is. Mm. Like they're not trying to make you feel comfortable. They just don't care. And I think that to me was like what turned me off. Right. I was like, yeah, like the only person of color in the room and like the only person who doesn't have fashion experience, like no one was trying to make me feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. I was, I wasn't getting any like reassurance, you know? Right. And that's kind of a sad thing. Like, yeah, I mean, to to even think about you, your reaction to that being like, I'm going to get Lord started is a, a really the kind of most mind-blowing thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To be experiencing these things time and time again and to not just be like crippled by the, the like feeling of like hopelessness, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I was, what really pissed me off though and the reason why I honestly started what I'm doing is because... A lot of the girls I was I went to school with in okay so Petra and her whole crew like okay. I knew them from university, I didn't know Petra personally but I knew a lot of the girls that she was working with on her website the Arterist or whatever that shit was called. Um, first of all, all of the photographers that on that website were white girls, and none of them shot women of color right. or people of color. Right. And that's what pissed me off. I was like, what the fuck, like. All these, this is like how white supremacy works though, right? It's like you, these people create spaces for themselves and only big up themselves, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the exact same thing. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Still just, yeah, I think <laughs> it still ends up being the most frightening thing to me is it's like, yeah, just entering the space as like, as you said, someone who's just like vulnerable and like not really sure of what you're kind of entering in and mm -hmm. just being hit with. The most like backward bullshit, essentially, you know, super kind of frightening. Mm -hmm. When you were starting out, how did you end up getting jobs for your models? Um, I got a lot of press, so people were just hitting me up. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. I, and I am, I'm, I'm, I guess you've already kind of brought this up, but London seemed like it was a very receptive place to the not only the idea, but just 
this change in like paradigm that you wanted to kind of bring about mm -hmm. um, from like the get-go? Well, it, the thing about London too is like there's so much industry happening there and you see young people like really going out there and doing their thing. Mm -hmm. So that was really inspiring to me. Yeah, of course. And what was one of the, one of the first projects that you worked on with Lord? Mm, I did this um, editorial for Indie Magazine okay. um, where we shot a bunch of our models um, but I, in retrospect, I'm like, ooh, that was really not cute. Um, <laughs> Still, though, it was a starting point, right? Yeah, it's kind of huge. Important. Like, you get a fucking 10-page spread. It's kind of, like, a big deal. Yeah, that's massive. Um, and then what else did I do? What were, like, one of the first things? Oh, I did a takeover for this magazine that my friend Cameron Russell, she's, like, a supermodel. She started a magazine called Interrupt. Okay. And true. I met her on Tumblr, and she was like, I want you to edit, like, our next issue. So I did that. Um, and then we involved, like, a bunch of our models for that. And then at the time, our kind of still I'm working with my friend Christopher Whitfield. He, like, had written an article for that issue. And it was really dope. It was just, like, kind of talking about representation and whiteness in fashion. Mm. Yeah, and I don't even remember. It was just all like a fog. Now. <laughs> it's just like project after project. Of course, of course. Yeah. So from land, London, as you said, a mm -hmm. bunch of projects are kind of rolling. A little bit of time passes and you find yourself in Toronto? Mm-hmm. Okay. Without any reservation, please give us your most candid review of what you think about the city. Oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, go for it, please. Okay. All of, all of how you feel about the city. So let's start? let's start with this. What brought you to Toronto specifically? I came to Toronto just to be close to New York. Okay. While still kind of not or not having to deal with like visa bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Um my review of Toronto. Please, you don't yeah, don't even worry about it being concise. Just lay it on all us. So this city is like a very clout-based city. And I think like everybody knows that about it. Like it's it's just kind of how the creative industry here f functions. Um, and the thing about that that is frustrating is that there are so many incredible creatives in this city that are going completely unseen. And there are people in this city that could actually put Toronto on the map, but we would never know because they don't have 20,000 followers. And so that is a really frustrating aspect of the city. The other thing, too, is like the city is so mystified by these people that buy followers. And I'm like, yo, this chick doesn't do anything, or this dude doesn't do anything. And you guys are putting them on this and that and that and this because they have like this, like, really clean social media feed. And it's kind of sad it's like pathetic like I don't see that happening in the same way in New York or in London like in London the thing about London that was so inspiring while I was there is like people are willing to take a risk if they see potential in you they don't do that here it's really sad yeah and it really pays off in London because then you get like incredible designers and then you get people like Ib Kamara who are now the fashion editor at ID and you would never get that out of Toronto because people here just aren't putting on the right people. Well, you know, I just thought that was something that happened everywhere. I didn't know it was like strictly Toronto. I think here it's like really bad. Mm. Yeah, I think here it's really bad. 
But and like what makes it worse is that there's so few creative opportunities. Like obviously there's a lot less industry. So people feel so protective of what they have and like only willing to share it with like a limited amount of people. But yeah, I just wish that people were focused more on talent and focus more on like what people actually have to offer rather than like who they are, what they look like and what their Instagram feed is like. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, I, I truly was in the was in the same boat as Navik. Um, mainly because of, of one experience I had while uh, spending a bit of time in Los Angeles to record some episodes of this podcast. Mm. And I remember going into the store um, and just having a conversation with uh, the the one clerk there. And mm. he asked, because uh, I I'd started telling him about, you know, this podcast that I do. And uh, he asks me, like, oh, like, do you guys have, like, a, an IG? Like, can I check it out? I was like, oh. First of all, I was like, what? Wow. Um, but second of all, I was like, yeah, yeah, you can check it out here. And, like, I guess, like, as the page is loading, um, he turns and looks at me. He's like, y'all popping? <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, I was like, well, people listen to us. And, like, that was, like, my, like, cheap joke in there. And uh, before the page even loads, he just kind of, like, presses his home button, like, puts away his phone. He's just like, cool. And I was just like, all right, fair enough. Like, I kind of expected that, but at the same wow, time, I was like... that's rude. Yeah, I was like, yeah, okay. I'm in my feelings. Um, but that's either, so rude. Um, but I mean, I suppose to like a more extreme extent, that was something that I may or may not have expected because I'm like, oh, I'm in a place like Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to pretend or to like not put it on like the same plane or even consider that it's as big of a problem in this city, it's like... Was, would be silly of me to think because I think you've outlined it very well, which is that um, everything is very saturated because it's not spread out. There's not an abundance of opportunities. There's not an abundance of spaces. There's not an abundance of voices to kind of, for people to reach out to on like demand mm-hmm. or very with, with accessibility, mm-hmm. um, which I would just imagine, you know, like I, I'm kind of curious to know how that's made um, the work that you do, particularly in Toronto, has that made it, exponentially difficult to kind of find, you know, find the people that Lord wanted to represent or has to represent. <laughs> we caught that. We caught that. Song. We it's caught that it's song. really sad because there's so many talented people in the city. Like my friend, Neva Wariko, like yeah. the photographer, my friend, Taylor Thoroski, although she's not in Toronto anymore for good reasons, mm. um, are all super talented. My friend, Justin Aranha, um, Naraman, like, all these people are producing work that is very um, inspiring and like inspired by their own visions and their own things going on in their heads, not by what the city wants to see. And it's just such a shame because that already pits, already creates like a huge barrier for you. Like if you want to produce work that's genuinely just in good work, like you aren't going to be put on in the same way that you are if you were to produce work that like checks all of these boxes for basic corporate people. Yeah, yeah, of course. Do people with massive follower counts DM you and be like, hey, I'm hot. You should really take notice of this. Oh, God. (laughs) That's scary. No, I get that crap all the time. I don't care. I mean, like, sometimes I'll check it out and be like, okay, who is this person? What really, what are they about? But. Oh, so it does happen. All the time. Are you kidding? Oh, okay. Hey, feel free to read one of those DMs. You don't have to say the person's name. No, no, no. I don't want to even, like, 
acknowledge yeah, that. Yeah, you don't have to you don't have to bring the bring those people up again. But I guess the, the most kind of the frust- most frustrating or kind of like upsetting part to me um, is that um, eventually, if this is the way that things kind of continue to move, um, mm. which I'm hopeful will not be the case, but I also think that it's going to take a very long time for things to change. Mm-hmm. Um, this, like at a very core level, mm-hmm. the like idea of just like wanting to introduce you someone or like or connect with someone because you like you think that they're an interesting person and you value their work. Mm-hmm diminishes because the amount of like interactions people have where it's exclusively business-based or exclusively like I'm talking to you because like I want your follow on like Instagram or I want to just like be able to take this photo with you so as you kind of mentioned your clout rises or like exclude it's exclusively because something is like wanted you mm-hmm. know what I mean in exchange or not even in exchange sometimes that is to me kind of like the most frightening part because Mm-hmm. At like a very human, on a base human level, like all opportunity for human connection and opportunity to like empathize with someone or like see someone grow as like a human, mm-hmm. not as like a creative or not in their field, but just as a human, mm-hmm. kind of goes out the window, right? Because you're like so paranoid or like this idea that like this person's only talking to me because I have something to give to them mm-hmm. clouds your clouds your headspace, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that you, you've experienced yourself while being in Toronto where, you know, obviously you've, you've kind of shared here that like, oh, people just message you all the time being like, yo, put me on, put me on or whatever it is. Um, but how often or how regular of an interaction is that for you? It's pretty damn often. It's kind of, I feel embarrassed for these people. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel embarrassed for some of them. Some of them, I get it. It's like, yo, you, you have to like, put yourself out there mm-hmm. and I don't want to discourage people from doing that because I think that is super important yeah, like you totally. literally like can't have shame like if you want whatever it is that your goal is you really have to like hit up your faves because I do the same thing like I've hit up so many photographers that are I feel like are incredibly established and probably out of my league but like you have nothing to lose like That's you right. have to do that mm-hmm. But I feel embarrassed for the people that try to create like fake friendships with me. That's right. And then like, like I've had this one guy, like every single time I fucking see him, it's like him like weaseling into this conversation with me where he finally goes, so like, do you have any casting work coming up? Like, what do you think I'll be good for? And it's just like, God, (laughs) I know who you are. (laughs) I've, I fucking have brought you to auditions many a times. Like if there's work, there's, I'll hit you up. Like you don't have to do this like fake friendship thing. It's Mm -hmm. gross. Yeah. And that's the worst part too. It's like, is, is, um, yeah, like if, if they're only, if, if someone's only reason for talking to you is because there's something to be like gained from, mm-hmm. like even if that thing is gained, like after that, it's like, you know, does this relationship just fizzle out? You know, is there, is there like, there no is other no reason? relationship. Yeah. And that's yeah. like that, it, I guess that's the saddest part to me. Um, cause something, something I always joke about with this podcast is like, one, like we want to reach out to these people because we just think they're like the coolest and the chat, the opportunity to like sit down with them is, this is the best thing. But even if that doesn't happen, the opportunity to just like make them like a part of our support circle or like make them like someone that we can like actively support or just like mm-hmm. create like a, a healthier, positive relationship with is, is all that matters. Even if we don't get them on the show for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's just something that, that is I fear or, or like see in abundance and it's just like, whoa, mm-hmm. you want to stay so far 
so far removed from it. Heart. So while in Toronto, what have been some of the more memorable or more positive kind of experiences on projects that you've worked on? I'm not going to lie, like of all the work that I've done here, it's all been very commercial. And though I really like it because I really do love the the act of like finding people, I feel like that to me is like why I do what I do because I just fucking love like finding really interesting people and being like, look, this person is special. Like, I'm going to show you their potential kind of thing. We're going to put it on for them. I'm going to put it on for them. But I, I'm not like exhilarated by the brands that I work with here. Yeah. Like, That's fair. Yeah, I mean, so I, there's no one project that really sticks out to me. I think what what makes my work exciting are the people, not great. the projects, yeah. if that makes sense. No, totally, totally. Um, and something that, you know, uh, we Im- or we imagine being one of the kind of like maybe issues or, or barriers for making these, these like very kind of fulfilling projects um, lies on like the very the core of, of what Lord as an agency kind of stands for and what these companies are really kind of contacting you for. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I'm curious to know is, is what... Um, what your experiences has kind of been like in terms of these companies reaching out and being like, you know, this is this is what we want to do. You know, have you found that a lot of it is still very rooted, particularly in Toronto, still very rooted in these ideas of, of tokenism or just being like, oh, we just want one person to like stick in mm-hmm. there kind of deal. Is that what your experience has been like so far? Yeah, like, OK, so as I was biking up Young, um, I saw this Sephora ad that's in Young and Dundas mm-hmm. and I was like asked to be in that ad but then like taken off last minute or whatever, which is fine because that's just how casting goes. Like you're put into the, into the, like the la- massive list of consideration and eventually like you get knocked off. Um, but the brown girl that they had used is wearing a fucking tika, is wearing a massive nose ring, is wearing like all this traditional South Asian jewelry. And I'm like, I thank God. I was not in that. Like, I don't want to fucking look like that. Like, that's not how I dress day to day. Like, that's not how I want to represent myself if someone's seeing me for the first time. Mm. Not that I don't think that that's beautiful, but I just don't. It's inaccurate. Yeah. Um, And it that plays into that's just an example of kind of the whole tokenizing thing. And it's especially a problem in Toronto, I feel like more so than in other places, like because I think in other cities like New York and London, like they've evolved their perspectives of people here not so much like I think Toronto still looks to America um, and other western countries for their content like Mm. how to produce ads and stuff like that Um, and they still cling on to like these really outdated ideas wow yeah Hmm. and um and I, I guess how how comfortable have you felt in, you know, kind of like postmortem or having after having doing a lot of this work with them? How comfortable or how how much do you feel like it, it's? Um, I guess it is a bit of a redundant question because it's not your responsibility. But how much do you feel this like pressure to like, te- like relay this back to them, being like, hey, you know, we've we finished this work, but I have had conversations, but. As a small business owner, I don't really know if I have the power to really be as critical as I want to be. Right. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, and unfortunately, yeah, it is you find yourself in this fickle position where. um, 
the most important thing is like we're trying to get paid, like me and the models, yeah, and I course. can't be jeopardizing those relationships. That's right. That's exactly it. Um, which is unfortunate because your identity, just like as a as a marginalized person, and as what this your your company represents, mm-hmm. is a political statement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what ends up being the most frustrating part is that. Throughout all of these things, these companies can almost kind of exploit that, you know, just be like, oh, you know, these these are the people that we've worked with, and look, we have we have one black girl in our in our ad, mm-hmm. um, so we've we've got to be doing the right thing here, um, right. when it's always bigger than that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, you guys end up being, you end up being put in this position where like you know you're still trying to live, you're still trying to thrive as a as a business. Um, yeah, which is what I imagine being uh, just a, a tricky space to navigate in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, with the uh, the process of selecting models, mm-hmm. like I know you have like a set on your website. Like what's that defining factor that you know that like this this person like has it? Mm. Um, I think for me, the thing that I try to prioritize is like what makes you look different. Um, what makes you kind of stand out and also making sure that you're just like comfortable in front of the camera. That's like the most important thing Um, because you really do need the full package. Like if you're going to be going to auditions and stuff like that, like you need to have like a great personality and obviously you can't always sense that from the photos, but Mm. once you start to shoot them, you get to know them a little bit better and all that stuff becomes more and more clear. Right. And is that still exclusively you doing a lot of the outreach and doing a lot of the the research through platforms like Instagram? I, I hire f- like people, Great. yeah, like sometimes freelancers, but it's Great. like a rotation of the same couple people. Gotcha. Because um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, just just that process alone, I imagine. And also my friends, like so many of my friends <laughs> in Toronto, amazing. like have my scouting cards and they'll hand them out for me. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, if you got some for us, we'll do that too. We'll start slinging them. I don't have no any <laughs> more. That's okay. People have been slinging them out too much. <laughs> That's like good. Now I don't have any. <laughs> That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Um, but also, I, I, I think that is what uh, is like a very unique aspect of, of what Lord stands for. Is just the way that you've gone about it is very industrious, and also mm-hmm. just a, a statement towards where we're kind of at right now. Is that yeah. like if you look hard enough in these spaces where everyone is is there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to find exactly what you're looking for, mm-hmm. which is super, super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you briefly mentioned a few of them, um, but uh, we are kind of curious to know who are who are some of the people in this city that uh, you wish or, or you know uh, deserve to have more recognition for the work that they do? Yeah, Neva, for sure. Like, she's the one of the best, if not the best, best photographer in Toronto. Um, her, like, artistic direction and vision is, mm. like spot on um she's incredibly like a fucking gem to work with so um her for sure and i i definitely feel like her work is underappreciated um my friend taylor thoroski she's a stylist um but right now she's based out of berlin but she's originally from brampton (laughs) and um justin arlanha who i mentioned earlier too um, he's like a gem to work with and he's incredibly talented and great at doing, um, portraits. Um, Naraman, also a, um, stylist. Um, his work is 
also like super special, really out there, like very like um, costumey, but beautiful. Mm. Fuck, I feel like I'm missing so many people. <laughs> of course. Oh, then. LA Timpa. Yes. Like as wow. both a model and and a musician, like super talented, like in both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah, I don't know. The list goes on. Yeah, that's a telling. That's very. It's a telling sign, you know, of of how many people are. Yeah. Not yeah, but like it's just wild because it's like you get someone like Jessica, Jessica Kanchi or Kanjimanadan, who is Toronto based, and while she was here, like wasn't really booking any work, like whatever. Mostly was just helping me with casting stuff, and then goes to London, and it's like gets eaten up with the fucking spoon, you know? Yeah. Like it's just the city is so prone to. Circle jerking the same group of people. Right, right. You br- you briefly mentioned before too uh, your experience seeing Jessica walk uh, a runway while out over there. Please, please re-describe what that moment was like for you because that's wild. Like e- yeah. even that's something Navek and I kind of yeah. said talk about being like yeah. a moment in history for real. Yeah. So I went to Paris to see Jessica walk for Vetmont, and um, it was super emotional for me because I've ne- I've never seen like a dark skinned brown girl in fashion period, let alone like walking like a major runway like that. So, wow. yeah, like, I don't know. I can't even speak enough to like how special that kind of thing is. Yeah. No kidding. I, I, yeah, just a firm reminder of the work or how important the kind of work that you do and, and what, what comes of it, you know, I think that is kind of the the coolest thing that we see from all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, near, near the end here, um, but something that you, you've also mentioned before is that, uh, you know, as consumers, given that uh, a lot of what we what we kind of intake from the fashion world, as consumers, one way that we can stay engaged or, or at least kind of um, fight back against, you know, these ideas of, of centralizing whiteness um, within the fashion world, um, you know, a lot of it kind of comes down to being more conscious in our decision making mm-hmm. as consumers, right? That's the, the power that we have is mm-hmm. the, the money we put into these things. Um, and we're kind of curious to know for, for you specifically, you know, who are over time some of the, the brands or some of the companies that um, have been go-tos for you or, or ones that you've, um, you know, really wanted to, to invest your time and invest your money into as well? Um, as far as casting or? Um, as, as far as for you personally, for you personally in terms of what, what you've consumed or what you choose to wear. Or, mm. um, yeah. Yeah, I always say if you want to like shop consciously, just only buy sh- stuff from brown and black designers. Like, that's it. Easy. Yeah, yeah, like, buy it straight from them. Like, don't go to opening ceremony or whatever. <laughs> like, just go straight up and buy it from these people. Like, my friend Flemons is a designer based out of L.A. Like, go buy his shit online. That's right. Supriya Lili from London, go buy her shit online. Yeah. Homie Yasir, Yasir Nomani and Darze. Go okay, buy from yeah, online. Okay, yeah, exactly, right. with Darze. That's buy, right. buy his shit online. That's right. James Jebbia from Supreme. <laughs> buy his shit online, <laughs> you know? Up. It's so easy, to, <laughs> so, easy so affordable. <laughs> yeah, so accessible, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so we've nearly reached the end of this episode here, but as always, we have to go into our very special segment, Soup It Up, unofficially sponsored by Campbell's Soup. This is a, <laughs> <laughs> this is a segment uh, where we let our guests uh, and our, of course, um, both Navek and I as an opportunity to share something that's made us very salty whether in the past day or the past hour in the past oh week the past month as an opportunity to vent and an opportunity to you know just get it off your chest you know oh my 
Um, <laughs> so if you have one, that's, if there's one that you can think of off the top of your head, fantastic. Um, if not, please take your time. Um, but I'll ask you, Nivek, do you, do you have anything that you feel like you really just got to get off your chest, man? Of course I do. Always. Of course <laughs> Nive- I do. Nivek is on like a 30-episode soup-it-up streak. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I never stop. <laughs> I'm always cheesed. Now, recently, the cost of... Now, let me preface this. This is oh some God, very disappointing news. Um, like, brace yourselves. Please take a seat <laughs> while you're listening to this. The cost of backwoods has gone up significantly. How how much? Now I know in the states it's gone up ten dollars. Whoa, ten dollars! Yeah, yes. And you know who's buying backwoods? Brown and black people. Mm. So what does that say? White They're people started to... buying it. No. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Um, gentrifying backwoods. <laughs> what? Perfect title for this episode. That's what we're titling this episode. But, yes, that's what they're doing. First, they take our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> they take our jobs. They take our transportation. Now they take our backwards. They take your backwards. Disgusting behavior. That's disgusting. And all we're doing is we're standing back and we're watching this. Not anymore. Please join me in the backwards march, <laughs> which will happen on... July 18th. <laughs> Meet me at McCown and Finch Scarborough, where the most backwoods has ever, <laughs> ever, ever been purchased at the Woodside Square variety store. And there we will start and we will march all the way to Malvern, <laughs> where a large amount of backwoods are also sold. <laughs> Meet and the allies, will, man. Find the allies. We will group and we will truly fight them and we will take back. The woods. The woods. That's that's right. Um, you've Bam. also you also started a GoFundMe page for people to sponsor <laughs> oh your backwards. Man. No, no, yes, no. Uh, GoFundMe.com <laughs> backspace. Please <laughs> bring back my woods. Bring back my woods. <laughs> Listen, man. Thank you. For, I I know that's something you're um you've been very passionate about over the past couple of years. So I really appreciate you. Thank <laughs> you for so we got one last one for you, which is how we, we kind of end our episodes now. Um, it's a new episode unofficially sponsored by Lil Wayne called Three Pete. Young Moolah, baby! Um, where essentially we ask three questions, Ooh. all which are uh, insets of threes um, that you answer as rapid fire as you can. Oh my um, God, fuck. <laughs> if, you, if you take a couple seconds, that's also perfectly fine. But off top of your head, list off what first comes to mind okay um so the oh, first wait, i'm saying three things three things okay. for per question mm-hmm. okay so very first one very simple who are three uh artists that you haven't stopped listening to this past month Duh. <laughs> um cardi um nikki mm-hmm. um oh gagoosh gagoosh <laughs> yeah tell us more about them Oh, uh, Gagoosh is uh, my friend's, my friend wrote an article for Pitchfork recently, and that's how I got put on, but um, they're like this Persian, Iranian, like singer from like the 1970s till now. Cool. But I've been listening to like their older, like disco stuff. Bam. Okay. Oh. You put us on. There we yeah. go. <laughs> First question down. Boom. Second question. <laughs> this one might be a tricky one, but what are three bands that the, three brands that the masses need to stop investing in? Which ones are just whack that we need to get out of here? 
Okay, did you hear about Zara? Like, people were leaving notes in the Zara coats to be like, I'm a factory worker, and, like, I have no food, no money, and I'm Whoa. being saved by Zara. Like, please mm. help me. I knew Zara was, like, doing some shady shit, but I didn't realize that this was happening. That's... Yeah, just Whoa. fast fashion. Like, it's bad for the environment. It fucking treats brown and black people like dirt. Like, just cut out Zara, cut out H&M, cut out Forever 21, Boom. like all fast fashion. Okay, mm. there we go. This is the fastest anyone's ever gone through, so congratulations, truly. The last question for you, what are three ways that you choose to take care of yourself? Oh, wow, um, pole dancing, I exercise, um, I try to eat well, I'm cutting out roti and rice. Nice. Hard. Wow, that's... Damn. No, literally Good every brown you. person probably had a heart attack hearing that. <laughs> no, I mean, you're inspiring the masses, truly. Yeah, just like cut it out, like keep it minimal, you know, it's yeah. not good for our bodies. There's a reason why like diabetes is so high in our community, like mm -hmm. we need to check that shit. And then third way that I try to take care of myself is like spend time with people I love. Great. Easy peasy. That's 3P, man. Well done. You got right through that. We're just about done here, but we've reached the end of June. We're about halfway through the year. We're past halfway through the year. Um, what do you have planned with Lord for your own life? What can, what can people expect? Um, and more importantly, how can we keep up with you and all the great things that you're doing? Um, follow me on Instagram for sure. That's where you get the immediate updates. <laughs> um, but as far as like my work goes, I'm like trying to shift away from being business chick and like start to focus more on like creative stuff and like really producing like creative work that I'm actually passionate about. Amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. We will make sure to, uh, to, to link people to your Instagram, um, and to where they can learn more about Lord and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, in it, in an interview that you did with uh, metal magazine, something that you were quoted and saying, which I think is, uh, resonated very much was that um, everyone and everything are beautiful and it would be a really sad existence to not feel that. Um, and while, you know, a lot of times very unrealistic standards are kind of imposed on us today, mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's that very way of thinking that uh, is what kind of helps us drive to fight against these systems that were meant to be done with a very long time ago. Um, so we very much appreciate you for sharing your story with us and for doing the work that you do because um, you remind people like Navik and I that we have a place and have a voice that mm -hmm. should be heard. Mm -hmm. um, cool, that's amazing. Yeah. I love you guys. Truly. <laughs> um, this is episode 48 with Nafisa. I am Chris, a.k.a. Chris, a.k.a. not Chris, a.k.a. the Thelma Hemingway, a.k.a. bash me outside because I'm a fight, I just get beat up, a.k.a. Mr. Date Your Go With You, a.k.a. Dr. Do Too Little, a.k.a. Little Poopy Dirt, and I'm with Navik. Aka in the vape, aka Tim Tyrese, aka Lil Couch, and that's it. Goodbye. <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any AKs? We should have asked you. I'm Nafisa, <laughs> aka Nafisa. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you for listening to this episode 48. Everyone say bye on three. One, two, three. Bye. bye. You make me wanna be better than I've ever been.
Touch your skin.